Welcome to Fires on the Farm Podcast. My name is Donovan Jones. I am joined, as usual, to my right with Roy. Today I'm on your right. Yes, today you're on my right. Sometimes and, I'm on your left. Yes, and we like to mix it up here on Fires on the Farm. <laughs> and as I look out, the sun's setting. It is a purplish, yellow, gray hue sunset. As the uh, sun sets on another season another of Padres baseball. season of Padres baseball. Padres minor league season has been over, uh, well, the... The Don Welke on deck classic, uh, newly named on deck classic. Uh, excuse me, Don Welke on deck classic. Thank you very much. I guess that puts a puts a ribbon on the instructional league. It puts a ribbon on the instructional league mm-hmm. and technically the minor league season. So that was last Thursday, and that's what we'll start with. And so we're here on Sunday. Today was the final game of the Major League Baseball regular season, and the season that just wouldn't end. Yeah, it was a long season, but you know what? I'm sad to see it go. Uh, as am I, and it's just and just to talk about the major league team for a minute here. You know, just knowing where, where we are in the rebuild with with the major league team, um, it's in that spot where like we still don't know. We kind of see some light at the end of the tunnel. There's some guys that are just a little bit away. Um, Yep, we're not there. 2019 will be telling again, but mm-hmm. still might not be where we want to be. Well, we won't be where we want to be, but still there might be some cloudy pictures uh, on the major league roster. Yeah, there's there's a chance the team might surprise, like the what the Astros did that one year, the Cubs did before they finally broke through. Yeah, but that's asking a lot, and it's going to be another growth season. Um, but hopefully, the pieces that are on the field are mostly comprised of the players that. Are going to be around long term. Absolutely, absolutely, and and some of those, you know, the, the really big turnaround there for me has been Hunter Renfro. I've always been a Hunter Renfro guy. Mm-hmm. I love Renfro, even when he was, you know, swinging at stuff in the left-handed batter's box. Yeah. Um, but to have him come back and just really turn it on and really make that adjustment, I think it was a really big thing. Well, so now the guys that that have come up that we've seen a glimpse of this year, the one that stands out to me is Mejia, Francisco Mejia. Yeah. That, yeah, he had two home runs in his debut game. He had the walk-off grand slam. But in most of the recent at-bats I've seen, they're throwing him nothing near the zone, and he's swinging at everything. Yeah. So that it, I understand you go up there, you can put the bat on the ball anywhere, but you need to be able to hit quality pitches and make the pitchers have to deliver you quality pitches. So that's something that he's going to have to learn because now you don't see them throwing all kinds of junk at Hunter Renfro. They know he's going to spit on it. Right, right. And he's throwing doing anywhere near, like, you know, when he bats left-handed, when Mejia bats left-handed, you just throw an inside back, back foot slider, not even a strike, and he's swinging at it. I think he swung at a pitch that hit him in the foot today. Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> it was that's bad. a steep learning curve because it, it is tough to to readjust like that. It is. But, I, you know, but he has all offseason to do it and working on it in spring training. Uh, he's still pretty young. He is a top prospect, and there's lots to like there. There oh, yeah. is a lot to like. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's funny. Um, we'll, we'll talk about the uh, the Downwall Classic and uh, the, social, it's the Social Summit as well here in a minute mm-hmm. where, um, you know – during the social summit, we had Jacob Nix come and talk to us, and you know they had talked to, him, they had asked him about uh, Jacob Nix, or not Jacob Nix, uh, about Francisco Mejia, and uh, he's like, "Well, oh, I know he's hit a lot of doubles on me, <laughs> and every time I turn uh-huh. around, he was on second base." Um, so we know he can hit. You know, we can hit. He knows he can hit, but in the major leagues, it's a whole other ball game. Oh yeah. But let's get back into what we're here for. It's minor league baseball and the Don Welke Classic um, was just renamed. You know, the on-deck game in the Padres. First, it was the what the future front of Friars on the 
Future Friar. What was it called? Whatever it was game? called. They called. I think they called it the Futures game at yeah. first, and it was confused with the MLB Futures game that they have the All-Star game weekend. That's right. That's so then right. they started calling it the On Deck Classic because they have this whole Friars On Deck thing that Bill Center actually runs that blog. He writes all those articles, and Bill does a fantastic job covering the Padres minor leaguers. Yeah. Um, and then this year with the passing away of Don Welke, then they added his name to the title of the of the game, which is really cool. And pa- one of the things I like about that is that it's the Padres prospects versus the Rangers prospects. Yeah. And before he came to the Padres, Welke was a part of the Rangers organization for several years. I had no idea how long he was with the Toronto Blue Jays organization. And he was a big part of putting together the team that went to the World Series back-to-back in the, in the 90s. Interesting. Yeah, and like so 96 he was... 96 and 96 yeah. He, he yeah he came he, I believe he started with them in the in the mid eighties that was like ninety one ninety two okay but like Joe Carter and Dave Winfield and Roberto right. Alomar um maybe ninety three ninety four something like that anyway right. he came he started with them in the eighties and then went through that success and then when Pat Gillick wound up going to Philadelphia that's when Welke was hired by the Phillies for one year and then he went back to Texas after that year. So anyway, he was closely attached to the Rangers organization as well as the Padres. Now you've got those two prospect uh, instructional league groups playing each other in a showcase here. And they name it after Don Welke. It was a nice tribute. And it's a, and it's a nice tie-in for the minor league guys. And he well-respected, longtime scout, advisor, mm-hmm. just... It's great that the Padre organization does that. And, Everybody and seemed that. to have a nice thing to say about him. He's yeah. one of these like universally loved guys who helped so many people in their careers. And behind the scenes, you don't you don't right. you don't talk about scouts and player development folks. You see the players and the coaches at the big league level, but all these minor league guys kind of are behind the scenes. But they're so instrumental in the careers of these guys. Yeah, the, well, the, yeah, the scouts you just. They're scouts. They're out in the field. They're you know their their opinion matters, but it only matters to those that need it to matter, not us local fan or mm-hmm. or, or or whatever. Um, it just shows a real class organization, and uh, I, I I love that about my Padres team. But let's move on. So this last week was before the Don Welke Classic. We had the SD Social Summit. Yes, which was. Freaking rad! It so was so is, cool. Was that the first one you've been? Second one. I went okay. To, I went to, we went. Remember, we went to the first one. It had Teddy, Uncle Teddy. Yes, had yeah, Trevor, yeah. which was cool. But my interest is in the minor league system, in the minor league ball club. So, like when I saw Jesse Ag- Jesse Agler emceed, which he's really nice, and then I saw uh, you know Bill Center. I'm like, okay, so that'll be great. I wonder who they'll have. Maybe a lot of Preller. I don't know. Maybe uh, then Sam Guinea walks in the door, and I'm like, yes. Did, now, did you know him by sight? Did you know who he was when I he did. walked in? I okay, did. I, I knew him by sight. Like that's Sangini, Sangini, and um, so when they started, you know, he he talked for about 10, 15 minutes, took some questions, took some really good questions from you. Um, we'll have all these interviews that we talk about right now. Uh, I have them in the can. We'll probably put them together for maybe an episode uh, eighteen or maybe next week. Uh, but we'll have all the interviews. So. I think you know Nikki was like the host, but yeah, Jesse Agler emceed. He had Bill well, Center. Jesse talk. was only there for the first couple of people, right? Because right. he talked to Bill Center, and that's then they right. brought Ron Fowler in, and then after he was done with Ron, then they left because they were doing the members' town hall. Okay. So I was a little bit bummed that we weren't able to get down there for that because last year we did the we did the. Um, the social summit, and then we were able to go sit in on the town hall where they had Andy Green, AJ Preller, and Ron Fowler up 
sitting and it was like a panel, like a Q and a panel. Right. And, uh, Dick Enberg was, was hosting the MC of it uh-huh. and they had questions that members had written on, on cards. And so they were answering those. So it was interesting seeing them kind of put on the spot about a couple of topics, but then again, I'm sure they cherry pick the questions to pick the ones that, you know, aren't going to be too cutting edge. Right. And they can um, control the message, which is, yeah. which is fine. You know, and to, to get to that whole controlling the message thing, it's their business. It, it, it is. It's our what we want to know doesn't. They don't have to tell us what we want to know. Yeah. Do we? Would we like to know? That mm-hmm. would be great. Is a GM going to tell you, show you all his cards, and, and tell you that things are going to be great? No. He, he's just going to say what he needs to. You know what the mm-hmm. mission is, the overall vision, mm-hmm. how we are that vision, and uh, you know, and like with Ron Fowler, just he said a lot but didn't say too much. Yeah. Um, you could read into some of that stuff, and it was really kind of uh, like I read into some of it. Actually, I kind of bought some of what he was saying. There was a lot to read in between the lines there. Yes. You can tell that who he really likes and who he's not particularly a fan of. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays into off-season transactions. Yeah. And then the rest of you probably, you know, the Padres Twitter can 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 get into the why does the owner have any say about who's on the roster anyway because he's not a baseball guy. He's the money guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm all for people being critical. I, I prefer not to ruffle feathers. Mm. I'm a fan. I enjoy the team. I'm, I'm grateful that I get a chance to do things like the social summit where you can sit there and interact with the players yeah. and some of the, you know, like Nikki and, and Madison and Justin that do the social media. They're so gracious and they appreciate that people like us and like you listeners out there are on Twitter and Instagram and whatever helping spread the brand yeah because it any 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 what do they say any publicity is good with publicity right there is a limit to that and there are some people that tend to be consistently critical of the organization and i do find that they're kind of left on the outside like on the reply to apply they don't necessarily invite everybody because they want to control the message a little bit right which is their that's their responsibility um and but we do need to ask questions it's we're not we're not investors, but as a customer, as a paying customer that I buy tickets and go right. to the games, you know, it's part of our cable TV package or however you look at it. There there is an obligation for them to put a quality product on the field, and some people have strong opinions about that, and not just the the team that's on the field, but also the management and the PR and the marketing and all of that. All of that needs to be held accountable on some level. Um, and so I, I think there is a role for that, but I, 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 I don't want to be that guy. I, <laughs> you know, I would rather just talk about the players and who's playing well and who's not, and right. the you know get into the prospects and get excited about what's coming. That that's the part that I get, that I enjoy. I like to read the other stuff, but I'm not going to get in the mud with all of that. Right, and and just kind of finish up that idea is that that town, the member town hall. Uh, would be interesting because you, you, they are the paying customer. You are the paying customer, so you should have at least some of those hard questions asked. Yes. Um. So for this episode, we're going to bring uh, bringing on. We have a special guest, uh, Lance Brozdowski. Uh, he is co-founder of uh, Prospects Live. He also does the Razball Prospects podcast. So we're going to be bringing him on here in just a minute. Um. So. I guess we can just keep going on until we're about ready. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we'll back back to the on-deck classic. We'll, okay, so the social summit. Are we going to take a minute and, and talk about the social summit and all this before Brance's, Lance is ready? Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about the social okay. summit. So Jesse Agler came on with Bill Center, and that was cool because it was like the old Padres social hour. 
Um, and so they were talking, kind of giving their little recap of the season and who they liked and all of that, which is happy and fine. Um, and then Ron Fowler came on, and you guys will hear this when we when we play what Donovan recorded. Um, it, Ron was pleased by the progress that Hunter Renfro has made this year. Um, you could tell that he was a little bit critical of Will Myers at third base. Yeah. He doesn't seem to believe that Will Myers is a is a legit option at third base. I feel like the guy deserves a little bit of time, but Ron doesn't see him as a fit there. So he referred to the, the fact that they have a bunch of corner outfielders and then we still have a problem on the left side of the infield. Yeah, He still wants to go out and find another option at third base, um, figure out what we're doing at shortstop. He's clearly a huge fan of Freddie Galvis and talked about signing him for another year or more. So he's on that team. I'm curious how that works behind the scenes when you've got guys like AJ Proler and Dave Cameron that they hired from Fangraphs mm. that are looking at analytics and looking at the other options out there. And then you've got one of the members of ownership saying, this is my guy. I want him, get him, keep him, retain him. How, how loud does that voice speak in that room? Yeah, exactly. And I saw Dave Cameron at the, he was sitting with, with Andrew Green and AJ down in the Lexus club. During oh, was the game. he one of those guys down there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, um, and Right. And I, you know, it's tough because, like, your boss who who pays the piper calls the tune. Yeah, yeah. So after they were done with Bill Center, Sam Gini came out. And that was really cool because we were t- able to talk about and that people wanted to know about specific players. But really, I think the topic stayed on more of a general. Yeah. You're talking about player development right. and decisions that have to be made. Um, we talked a little bit about the reorganization of the minor leagues, that now the AAA team, the uh, San Antonio organization is going to be a AAA franchise, and then Amarillo is going to become a AA franchise and where the Padre is going to go. He didn't have an answer yet for us, but he right. said it was coming. Um, talked about, I, I asked him about compensation, that, that all this discussion about minor league payroll and how much these guys get paid. But then in the offseason, they're not paid. And what are their living situations like? I hear that a lot of these guys are just living on McDonald's cheeseburgers. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's their first time living on their own. They don't yeah. know how to cook in all of this. So it sounds like at least when you're at a, at a complex, like if you're going to be around the Arizona complex and you're a player, you can go in and get a meal just about any time you want it. Yep. So they've got good meals. And you, so how, how do they support these players aside from their paycheck right. to make sure that they're getting the right meals, the right training, the right, you know, opportunities to stay healthy and, and, and grow. Yeah, the, and the funny, thing, the funny thing about that, uh, we're going to bring Lance on here in just a moment. Uh, the funny thing about that is we talked, we, I asked Patino about the transition from, you know, being in small town of Columbia to big, bad, I mean, huge America. And he's like, the food's, food's very different. Uh, um, it's all fat food here. Mm-hmm. I, I think he meant to say fast food, but he said fat food. And so he's like, I got to watch that. So yeah. it's like, that's true. It's like these guys, you know, only a couple of those guys have really big money. And Patino was signed for 125, you mm-hmm. know, and so. It, it, I, I, you know, you see a lot of those guys. Like I saw pictures, uh, you know, with uh, with Baez, a Patino, uh, at Instruct, but also Adrian Morhone was there. So, and Adrian Morhone was paid good money, but I'm sure he's there not only to get healthy, but probably to the the meal, the food, the the workout facilities. That he's trying to get better. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, yeah. Let's um. Let's go ahead and bring uh, Lance on here. 
and right. uh, we'll be right back. Hey, we're uh, privileged to have Lance Brozdowski uh, on Fires in the Farm. Lance, uh, founder of the Big Three Sports, co-founder of Prospects Live that just kind of went live just recently. He's a staff writer for Razzball and host of their own Razzball Prospects podcast. Damn, dude, you're everywhere. Uh, yeah, I feel like there's other places, too, that I don't even think I'm mentioning here. Uh, yeah, I've done a lot of stuff. I like kind of spreading out my work to various places and... Uh, um, we think we're condensing the Razzball Prospect podcast back into Prospects Live. Big Three Sports was kind of like a project of mine from a, a days back, and I've kind of not really defunct it, but I kind of just keep it for my own work now. I've been putting a lot of stuff out on various SB Nation sites, but uh, everything to, through Twitter for me, really. At Lance Brosdow is the big the big key, and uh, I'll probably come up with some kind of aggregation site in the next couple weeks to start putting my stuff in because I realize I'm too spread out. But uh, yeah, it's fun, man. I love writing, love recording, love love, love talking baseball. Yeah, you, you and I are, are colleagues. I'm a writer on Gaslamp Ball. And so oh, that, no way. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, so now that you've put a couple of pieces out there that have been great content, you're added, Thank you. adding to our, our site. So you yeah. write for other SB Nation blogs as well? Yeah, so I actually, I, I'm actually a staff writer for Viva Alberto, so I'm a, considered an analyst there, oh, um, okay. which is the Cardinals one. Because I'm at heart, I'm a Cardinals fan. But I, as you write about baseball and want to get into baseball writing more, I think you start to kind of almost deteriorate your fandom a little bit. I don't know if this happened to you guys, but for me particularly – I just kind of I like baseball as a whole. I'm always a Cardinal fan at heart, but I love following the minor leagues. I love following other teams and stuff like that. And I'll take a good baseball game over over anything any day of the week. But Vivo Alberto, so I've written some stuff for for Gaslight Ball, um, the Twinkie Town one. I've done some stuff for as well. Wherever wherever's willing to take some good minor league content, well, I like the, getting it up there. Real quick, we'll see. As Padre fans, our our uh, you know our following of the team usually ends right around now. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, and so as a Padre fan for myself, you know I'll follow. I have teams all over Major League Baseball, and and uh, mm-hmm. so uh, so I'll follow these teams. I'll follow over the players, and my wife, same thing. Is we'll we'll fall in love with the team and want them to do well. Like yep. my wife grew up in New York; uh, she grew up a Mets fan, and okay. we but we fall in love with the Royals a couple of years ago. And so when the Royals almost won it, and then the next year they beat her Mets. <laughs> to uh, you know, to win the World Series, we're like, yes, it was it was okay. You know, she was okay with that. But that's kind of the funny thing with uh, you know, with being a Padre fan is like we, I don't know, for myself, I, I follow other baseball teams. I love baseball, and um, mm-hmm. it's just interesting that way. So, what do you guys? So, what do you guys do over the prospects' lives? Kind of give our listeners an idea of what you guys do. Yeah, sure. So it's kind of a bit of a, a new project. It was started up, I'd say it was spearheaded by an individual named Ralph Lifshitz. He's at Prospect Jesus on Twitter. Um, he was my colleague at Razzball for a really long time. Um, he's been their prospect guy for, I can't even, I don't even know how many years. He's been there for probably five or six or more, honestly. And he actually, after his co-host of the Prospect Podcast left from a while ago, which was probably about a year and a half, maybe. Yeah. Um, he after he left, he invited me to do the hosting with him, kind of, and and I I just loved it. He's we get along really really well. Um, we have really good rapport. We built it up over the years now, so it's just it's a really fun podcast. We record that every Thursday night. It goes out every Saturday, and that ran for about a year or so. And then he started really wanting to do something on his own, kind of getting the not restrictions off that Razzball puts on, but they you know it's regimented. It's he has specific things he has to write, um, and I same way with me as a writer and stuff. But he kind of wanted to branch out a little more, so he initiated the idea with me, and then we connected with two other individuals or three hundred other individuals actually. The first of which was Jason Waddell, who's another kind of scout prospect analyst out there. Um, Jason Panini is actually kind of our wild card we brought in. He was actually a, a employed scout with the Brewers, and now um, I don't know if his contract's renewed, so he's able to kind of 
put stuff out to the public domain again. Yeah. So that's Jason Panini. And then Matt Thompson is another one who works, I believe, currently still for Fantasy Friends with Benefits. I think that's the name of the site. They do a lot of cool fantasy content. Justin Mason's the head of that if anyone follows fan graphs and rotographs and stuff. But So it's the five of us right now. Um, I'd say it's really just an aggregation of all our works at the moment. I'm doing a lot of the production backend stuff, helping with the podcast, helping with the Squarespace backend and all the stuff we're putting together. Jason's going to do uh, a lot of the uh, – Jason Woodell is going to do a lot of the analyzing scanner reports. Jason Panini loves doing kind of this thing he calls backfield banter, which is just him going to games and writing stuff up. I'm going to kind of put my feet in the water whenever I can. I, I prefer to do a lot of source content like I'm sure you guys have seen of mine. Um, I'm more of I consider myself more of a reporter than anything. But, uh, you know, it's it's an aggregation. We think that we each have a following that we could bring in and mesh into a site itself and compete with some of the other big prospect sites. So um, we're just going to grow a bit and we're, we're kind of test running it now in the offseason here. But uh, once we get next season going, I think it's going to hit the ground running pretty hard. And it's going to be great. What was was Ralph Lifshitz? Was he by chance? Was he named after the designer Ralph Lauren? <laughs> no, he. Act, I believe that's actually his pen name. So uh, uh, okay. I, I, I found out his real name a couple weeks ago, maybe months ago. But I don't tell anyone. He, out of respect, because he's got other jobs and stuff. So, but not his real name. But I don't know if he wants me to tell you that. Pretend it's his real name. Okay. <laughs> well, so, you did you you? So you got into write. You're into this for writing, not necessarily for the mm-hmm. scouting side. No, I consider it, I'm 100% for the writing side. I'm actually out at Northwestern University right now doing a journalism program. So I want to be a reporter at the end of the day, more so than an analyst. I just, I found a lot of access and a lot of really, really good people in the minor league, any team out in the Midwest League, back in the Eastern League when I lived in kind of the Boston area. Um, I, I just love it. You know, the access is great. There's, it's easier to get looks at guys. I really like kind of, I, I do some scouting of my own, just personal, just to form opinions of players. But in the recent year or so, I would say I've really gotten into talking to players, talking to coaches, talking to other teams and telling stories about players. I think that it just builds really good personas for a lot of the guys in the minor leagues that's undercovered. And, you know, I, the scouting side's fun. I don't, I don't have any intentions of being a scout long-term. I'm definitely more so. I want to be a writer. I want to be a reporter. I, you know, I listen to the, uh, the, the scouts have eyes with Jason Panini. You guys yep, are talking yep. to, that was, it was a fascinating listen. If, if, if your listeners listen, mm-hmm. get a chance to go on uh, prospects live, it's uh, scouts have eyes and it goes through the process of, of developing his, you know, he's just organizing information and going through his mm-hmm. own um, development as a scout and as a, um, you know, gathering up the information, how to organize it where it's, legible and it's usable for the for the organization i just it was fascinating yeah and the humility he had is like and i'm you know i see guys that have been around for so long and i'm just trying to figure shit out pardon my language um and i just i really dug into that that episode it was really good yeah they're gonna do that every monday we haven't dropping tomorrow morning it's gonna be we try to make like their podcast the network uh, that's actually probably one of the biggest things honestly the podcasts have or a key for the Prospects Live site. We have a network. Everything is running through the same channel. It's on Spotify and iTunes. If you search Prospects Live, it'll come up. But Mondays is going to be their pod, which is going to be called Scouts Have Eyes. It's purely going to be about scouting. They're not going to do individual player takes. It's just going to be about the life of a scout, how they look at various tools and debates they have. So it's very kind of open form and casual. We don't really think there's much out there like it. And then we're going to start actually prospect lists. So like top 30s and stuff, those will be coming out. And then me and Ralph will be moving the Rasball prospect pod there. So that'll just be an extension of what we had on Rasball. Same thing. That'll be much more player specific, kind of our takes, recaps of what's going on. And then we're keeping keeping it open to to a lot of other kind of one-off 15-minute 30-minute podcast on any discussions we want or if there's a big game or, you know, like perfect game. I'm 
sure next year, things like that, that are one-off events we think we could do 30 minutes rambling on. So the podcast network is actually a huge component of Prospects Live that I should have mentioned. Right, you know, it's funny. Just real quick, and we'll get into some questions here yeah. on on the Midwest League. I, talking about rambling, I, I listened to the other ep, uh, the other episode, the Rasba episode with you, and I think it was Jason. Or uh, sorry, okay. Ra- with Ralph. Ralph. And, uh, yep. Man, you guys are like, okay, hold on, I'm gonna rant for a minute, and like, and you start talking about a prospect, <laughs> you know. And I listen yeah. to these things at the gym, I, and so I like lift the weights, and I'm going, God, he's just. Guy, he's going on and on. He's like, I'm sorry about yeah. going on about you know Elo Jimenez or or whatever. And but we like the ramble, <laughs> dude. I, I I I love that stuff, and I love the scout. I I love hearing about the scouts and the life of that kind of stuff. And it's, cool. um, yeah. it, it's really interesting. But uh, we are here. We are a minor league. We are a Padres minor league podcast. And we have Padres minor league podcast questions. But but we do find ourselves rambling on about the major league team too, since God, we're fans sure, and we sure, go to the games. We do. That's awesome. Yeah. I heard you guys were at the, uh, or you, you were at the prospect day the other week, yeah. right? They had, I forgot what it's called, the on deck classic or something. Yeah. Right? Thursday, well, the Don, Don Welke on deck classic. classic yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, uh, they, they added the Don Welke part to it. I think just within the last week after the passing of Mr. Welke, I like but it. Yeah, he was nice. a big part of both the Padres and the Rangers organizations. And now this game is the two instructional, uh, groups playing against each other, Padres Rangers. So I yep. thought that was kind of cool how you got that symmetry. Awesome. And yeah, the, I really wish that was televised. I was just following it on Twitter and stuff and saw some highlights, but it was fun. It looked really cool. It was such a blast to, to attend in person. It was cool. Yeah. It, it is cool. And before that, they had what we have here uh, in Padres Twitter land is called the SD Social Summit. So you reapply, you know, they say, hey, if you want to go to the reapply, reply to apply, and they pick you and you go in this room and then they bring in people. So they brought in uh, Sam Guinea, they brought in Ron Fowler, they brought in uh, a, lo- a local beat writer that's been for a Padre beat writer since, you know, writing was invented in Bill, <laughs> in Bill Center. But they also brought in Mackenzie Gore, uh, Luis Patino, um, Ryan Weathers, and one of the major league guys, uh, Jacob Nix. And so it was yep. really cool to get 10 minutes of those guys and hear, um, you know, and hear their story. Mm-hmm. That's uh, awesome. That is so cool. But let's uh, let's start with some questions. So you're in the Midwest League. You spent a lot of time in Florida, uh, in Fort Wayne. You've seen pitchers yeah. dominate in A ball, then have the difficulties in the upper divisions. Give us an evaluation, if you can, on Luis Patino, and what yeah. kind of, what kind of sets him apart from your regular A ball phenom. Yeah, so it's pretty funny with Patino. I actually have more interaction with him than uh, than I have actually watching him pitch. I actually never saw him pitch a live game. I saw him throw two bullpens. So it happened that. It, whenever I could get out there, really, it always lined up where he was throwing. It was his third day after I started. He would throw. So I watched two of his bullpens, but I never got a chance to actually see him pitch live. So I, I have deferred in the past to other people who have seen him work live. But regardless of that, he, he's an unbelievable pitcher for his size. He's unbelievably athletic. Um, the interesting thing that I got out of him that probably another fewer people have in terms of the information goes is just he was actually talking to me about how when he came over to the Padres system and was signed, he was initially fastball curveball change. And then he started incorporating a slider. And then from what I understand, I was talking to John Eshelman of 2080, who's a really good follow and very, very good up and coming scout. Um, I believe he wants to get into pro scouting, but I was talking to him and he noticed that the usage on, on those two breaking balls have kind of flipped. And I found that really, really interesting because I knew that when he started here, he, I believe he started going slider more simply because they wanted him to learn that pitch more. And then he was telling me that he started to lose this spin on his curveball. So a lot of the time in A-ball this year, he was just trying to work with Burt Hooten, who's the pitching coach there, to get that spin back, get the feel back for that pitch and be able to possess two breaking balls. But the thing to point out is that I'm talking about a 19-year-old or 18-year-old, however old he is, it, who's working with two breaking balls and a changeup. And that is just – that's unbelievable because yeah. – 
he throws those pitches well. He throws all four of those pitches. I don't know their distribution in game. I would assume he's mixing that changeup, obviously, more to left-handed hitters. Two breaking balls can, you know, mix into righties and lefties easily. Live fastball velocity on it looks fantastic. Um, he was probably throwing 85 to 90 couple percents in that window for the bullpens. I don't think he really got the last couple pitches in bullpens like that. You'll see him air it out a little bit, but I wasn't seeing, you know, the hundred that I've seen. I've heard he's able to been hit in game, but, uh, but just the fact that this kid is this young, he's able to have that high velocity. He's mixing two breaking balls. He already has a feel for a changeup. that it was a pitch before he developed his second breaking ball. It's just, it, it, it's an unbelievable endorsement. And he's one of those guys that has just come onto every radar. I know fan graphs, was really bullish on him in their last update. They kicked him up to, I think, to 50 future value grade, which is, is saying basically major league average. But um, I think a lot of that is, again, in the embedded risk he possesses just simply because he's young. But yeah. I think he's going to be a 19-year-old. He's probably going to start at Lake Elsinore next year. Um, as a person, too, this kid is by far – like the character grade on him is is through the roof. He's unbelievable. He's he's worked his tail off to learn English um, I'm not sure what you guys thought of it in, in person there, but, you know, the more I talk to him, he starts off a little, you know, he, he, it's hard to understand him. But when he opens up, man, he's an unbelievable just person. He's really, really fun to talk to. And I, it's hard to bring in those kind of intangibles into player analysis for me. But, like, the fact that he's willing to learn English like this, the Padres obviously give him opportunities to learn English. I believe he said he was going back to Columbia and he's going to take some English back there with his teacher out there. And it's just the kid's dedicated to the craft. I really, really like all the intangibles with him on top of the the actual mechanics. Really high leg kick, goes up chest high, mimics uh, Mackenzie Gore a little bit. And McGore is just a, an insane athlete overall. So I, I – I get when people comp the leg kicks together, but Patino's is just – it's different stylistically because Gore's – the extension Gore gets off his is just – it's bonkers personally. But with Patino, it's it's much more controlled. Um, I'd be interested to see if later in his career maybe they break it down a little bit because I'm not sure if he's ex- if he's using it fully to extend all the way. But I'm, I'm not surprised that that's how he builds a lot of his momentum and gets his, his velocity as high as it is. So I love this kid. I'm a huge fan. Did Wait, you get a chance to see him kick a ball around? When the, I have, yeah. <laughs> Emily Walden, another really good right, call. I right. feel like I'm plugging everyone here. She had a video of him and, and Gabriel Arias actually kicking around a soccer ball, I remember, during that last series in, in West Michigan, where it was do or die. I've been trying to get yeah. Emily on here. Good soccer so player. If you can get Emily uh, uh, in her ear, and I've been trying to get her on here to talk about Midwest, uh, the, the Midwest League as well. Sure, yeah. I, I'm good friends with her. She's an amazing, <laughs> amazing person, so I, I will put in a word for sure. <laughs> so Luis was one of the people that spoke at the um, – the social summit. And it was interesting because at first the Nikki, who was the moderator, she said that she was going to translate for him and he was kind of bashful. And then as soon as the first question got asked, it's like, you forget the translator. I'm just going to answer in English. And it's, as you saw, it's, it's, he's learning. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's rough, but you can tell what he's saying. And he was giving long, complicated answers. He wasn't hiding behind the language barrier that a lot of these guys do. Um, and, and he was going on and on. He was so engaged and he looked excited and happy to be there. And so it's neat to see that joy in the guy. Absolutely. His personality is just unbelievable. He's, he's the life of the clubhouse. Bert Hooten told me that he's personality wise, him and Patino are literally direct opposites, which I'm not really surprised (laughs) at all about, but, uh, that, that kid does not need a translator. He should have the confidence to speak English because it starts off, as you said, a little rough. But if you get comfortable with him, which because he's really good friends with Enemy Walden as well. Actually, she's done a really good story on him. Um, I have a story coming out actually tomorrow, I think, on Gaslamp about him and Hooten. So it's just there. He, he's just an amazing person. He does not need a translator. Let him run with it. And you get him comfortable. He knows what he's saying. I'm, I'm super, super impressed with his English. You know, and, and to tie that off, I, I, 
being a you know baseball is such a hard sport, and and most baseball players are so you ask them a question, you get the standard clip, and you get the yep, standard answer, him. <laughs> and it's no, there's no hardly very little personality in in, in yeah. baseball. So, so if, if you know uh, uh, Jose Fernandez, I always thought he was like a, like a young Jose Fernandez, just loves the yeah, game, has like fun, yeah. is a competitor. Um, but let's let's move on. Uh, Tom Crosgrove, who started that crazy game five against the Whitecaps, uh, had 122 strikeouts in 116 innings uh, and 21 starts. He's gotten kind of overshadowed by Patino and Gore and Osvaldo Hernandez. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Tom Cosgrove? Yeah, it was funny. Actually, you guys sent me over this outline, and I put in there, I, I didn't see him, and then I realized I did see him, and I saw probably the best start of his career, maybe, uh, was that game five where he dominated through, it, I think, seven or eight innings. And I actually found my... Uh, I usually chart the pitchers I watch when I go in person, which is just simple, like breakdown of their pitches and velocities and stuff like that. And he he really was impressive in that game. I remember me and Emily Walden were kind of surprised because we were really sure we were getting. We The day before that, we saw Ryan Weathers, who I think we're going to get into a little bit later. Yeah. But um, T- Cosgrove's coming again. And again, that, that whole rotation in Fort Wayne is just between him, Osvaldo Hernandez, Mackenzie Gore in and out of it, obviously with the injuries, Patino. Uh, it's just they were loaded, and I he's been thoroughly overshadowed. I think as much as just about as much as his father has been overshadowed. But yeah, he's fastball curveball change from what I got on him. Um, change was a little bit hard, um, like an eight or nine uh, mile per hour differential between off the fastball. I had him at ninety one to ninety three in that game. Um, he worked really deep into that game. There was an insane at bat in that game versus I don't remember the player's name, but I have it charted at fifteen pitches. Um, he threw. Three curveballs, three changeups, and the six, nine fastballs, excuse me. So uh, it's just insane. He ended up walking the guy and uh, then bounced back and went another two innings. That is, that's one of the things to me that stood out the most because he was cruising in that game. Right. Absolutely cruising in that game. He runs into that at bat in the fifth inning, 15 pitch at bat in the fifth inning, walks the guy, gets the next hitter out, and then ends up throwing two more. It's in terms of resilience of a player, that's, that was just unbelievable to me for him to settle in because he, he took the air out of the stadium, or actually added the air to the stadium because it was West Michigan. So he walks that batter after 15 pitches, and the fans are going nuts. And he just bared down, got out of it. They brought him back out. Six pitch, six inning is what I have down. And then the seventh, he went through it pretty quick. And then I think his, his night ended after seven. But um, in, in terms of the microcosm of the one game, that a look I got at him, again, he's, he's overshadowed. He's another one of these guys that the Padres have depth-wise that just he's, – he's, he probably can be like a four or five at the major league level. Honestly, he's probably going to grade as like a 40, 45 future value guy. They have so many of these guys. It's just a matter of parsing through them and figuring out which ones they think could really jump up like a Patino or a Gore, uh, Adrian Marejon or any of these other guys. So, yeah, Cosgrove is fun. And the, the great thing is we're about an hour south of Lake Elsinore, our A advanced. Yeah. Uh, so yep. we get them here next season. Patino, oh, yeah. Gore, Osvaldo. We get all these yep. guys coming up through here. Except for Tatis, he skipped us, which kind of really yeah. pissed off yeah. the whole Padre fandom here. <laughs> um, you know, but so talking about Gore, in between some unfortunate injuries, you know, he seemed to show flashes of why he was the third overall pick. Uh, do you have an idea what's caused it? Like, okay, so at the let me stop myself right there. So at, I asked him at the social summit, and we okay. got we got uh, which is predictably a, a very a very organizational answer was I don't know. Yep, <laughs> and uh, even later on, like the, my first question was, "Show us your hand." Um, and then <laughs> I ain't really much to see here right now, but you know, it's good. Um, you know, then I asked him later, and he they had no idea uh, what caused it. But mm-hmm. could you give us an idea of uh, what may have caused that? And uh, you know, with with the light innings and kind of the rough season that he kind of had, give us a little bit rosier picture of, of Gore. Oh, I'm I'm happy to give a rosy picture. I, I absolutely love this kid. Um, 
Yeah. So funny interaction actually I had with him. The first time I ever talked to him, uh, I started developing a little bit of relationship with the media guy out in Fort Wayne, which is why I had such good access. He's John Nolan. Unbelievable. Just a great, great, great guy. And uh, he was super accommodating to me and everything I came out, everything I wanted to do story wise. So huge hat tip to him, honestly. But the first game I actually went out there, um, was a gore start, I think, uh, this year. I mean, maybe it was my second or third game. Uh, details aside, I went out, and after the game, I was like, I want to do kind of more feature style on him. He pitched. He pitched pretty well. One of the better starts of the season, if I remember at home. It was on uh, 4th of July. It was Independence Day start for him. So he, he had a little bit of the 6,000 that were in Parkview Field behind him, which was an insane number of people for a for a low-A game. But uh, And I asked him fl- flat out, and John Nolan was like, you're probably not getting an answer, but I mean, I'm sure he'll admire you for asking him directly. It's like the first time I meet him, what's up with his hand? But yeah, he gave me the exact same answer. So it's a scripted answer, and I'm completely fine with that. Like, there's things that organizations do need to keep under wraps, and you know, I I don't want to be, as a a reporter or anything, there's just stuff that I don't think the public should know. And if they're not 100% sure what the problem is, they're not 100% sure how to fix it, they think it'll go away, they think it's a non-factor, whatever they think about it, if they're not comfortable telling the public, then they have all the right not to tell the public. And I'm, I'm completely fine with that. I know a lot of people are like, I don't understand like why organizations do this, but there's information that that teams need to keep in-house. And I, I'm completely fine with Gore going with the answer of I don't know what happened. If I had to guess what happened, I it, to me it has to be off spin is what I would guess. Yeah. I don't think it's fastball-based, even though you – I think there's some guys like Aaron Sanchez. I believe Aaron Sanchez is obviously Blue Jays pitcher, major leaguer. But I believe his blister problems have come off his two-seam. Gore doesn't really have too much run on his uh, fastball tinkering as far as getting arm side run from the left side. But I would bet it has to be off curveball slider spin somehow. Okay. Just because I, I believe it was his left middle finger um, is what the two blisters were off of. And then I didn't really get enough information on the – the the other like injury on on a finger finger which wasn't it was separate from the blister from my understanding right. and John Nolan didn't really have any information on that either so I went a little in the dark with that third injury but the first two injuries were the same blister from my understanding left middle finger that's where a lot of the spins coming off and broke those both those breaking pitches I would bet it has to do with adjustment to high school to minor league balls and stuff like that and just getting um used to this the seams and maybe i'm not sure right. honestly the differential between i wish i wish i pitched in college of the minor leagues to be able to tell you if it was a massive differential i'm sure maybe someone w- would have better information on that but uh i would bet it's off one of those two things and i just i love mckenzie gore i love the athleticism i love the ability to mix pitches he throws four pitches he could probably develop into five he doesn't need any of them if he just sat fastball curveball the whole game um i think he could dominate through my west league it's just he's unbelievable and the thing is like there's guys like this where I, I went out and I try not to read scouting reports before I see guys. And I like coming back to them and seeing what people think. But with Gore, it's really hard to avoid them. So right. I went out knowing it and I went out seeing that the, one of the highest grades they were giving was on his changeup. So I go out there and what does he do? He throws fastball curveball the whole game. And his curveball is like a 55, 60 grade pitch. And I'm like, so you're telling me this kid has a changeup that's better than this curveball. And I'm seeing fastball curveball this whole game and he's dominating. Like I just I – was, I was enamored with what he was able to do. Um, I, I think this kid is is borderline has to be in consideration for the top pitching prospect in baseball after Kopech graduates after Force Whitley hopefully gets on track and ends up at the major league level after his injuries. But I'm all in on him. I, I'm not concerned at all with the injuries. His athleticism is out of this world. His ability to mix pitches out of this world. He's a lefty. I'm all in. I'm all in on Mackenzie Gore. God, you know, and for just following the minor leagues for these past few years, uh, we've been on Michael Kopech for a couple of years now, and just to have him come up to the bigs and do so well and just He's go down so with much tea. Fun. Just to go down with a TJ surgery, it's just heartbreaking. But I, I, I can yeah. I can appreciate that. I can appreciate there's a lot of talk here on, on the Padres social media where it's like they're not telling us the truth, they're not giving us information. It's like it's 
not it's fine. Just because Deal with right. it. it's, yeah. exactly. It's like we don't need to know if if yes, it'd be nice to know, but it, it's not like they're not they're holding that stuff back because there's a reason. Yeah, um, exactly. Ironically mm-hmm. enough, I, I, I caught in a little um a podcast segment where Mike Nutter, the president, had had saw uh, Mackenzie at the end of the season and had his middle fingernail and Mackenzie said this at the social summit. The nail had been torn, like it was tearing off the skin. So mm. whatever he was doing, that that third injury, the middle finger okay. nail was had was being pulled off the uh, off the finger. Yeah, he said his whole fingernail was black. So maybe that's interesting. Ma- yeah, huh? Yeah, I mean that's the same finger. I understand that both blisters occurred on. It was the same blister that reopened in the second injury. So it's something with that finger, and I know that's where he's getting a lot of spin off of. So I would bet it's fastball slider, or excuse me, curveball slider grip, but. It's another thing too. Like, do you, as the Padres, do you try to tinker with the grip? Like, the, the thing is, like, you've opened the floodgates on this. You start telling him that he starts telling the truth, then it's it's like a snowball. So you're gonna want to know more and more. How are they gonna fix it? And what is it from? And does he have to change anything? So as the Padres, again, it's smart for them to just say they don't. They have no idea. When they have an idea, they're just probably trying to address address the issue and and properly get his finger in shape that he's able to come in the spring next year. And this isn't an issue because if it is, and he can log 140 innings, I'm. I'm all in again. Like I'm already all in, but give me that. That'll just make everyone else go all in because they'll put aside the injury concerns. Well, we're all in. Oh yeah, I love it. Uh, Rich Hill, <laughs> Rich Hill had similar blister issues, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it ever came out of what he did to address that because he's a curveball. I mean, he throws curveball like sixty yeah, percent of the time. Yeah, and but if you got that blister showing up, then you're done. There's nothing you can do. And yep. we saw that in the last couple starts. I think there was a start late in the season where McKenzie got roughed up. And then afterwards, it came out that, yeah, he had this issue, so he really wasn't throwing much breaking stuff at all. Yeah, and they were sitting on the fastball. Mm-hmm. So I'd asked, yeah. her, I'd asked her earlier, and we talked about, uh, when I sent you the agenda, have you got a chance to see Ryan Weathers? And you, you didn't, but you had some information on him. No, I actually did see him. I saw him okay. on that day, the piggyback start with Gabe Moser. Exactly. Um, I saw him there, but... I didn't. I, I saw him, but I didn't really see him because it was a three inning outing. It was it was what I call like a scripted outing to some extent. Came out in the first inning, heavy fastball. Came out in the second inning, mixed fastball, curveball, and came out in the third inning and basically went 50-50 fastball, curveball. Got through pretty quick. I think he threw like thirty seven pitches. Um, it's just it wasn't enough of a sample. I really wanted to see how he work in sequence against guys second time, third time through, but. I guess I got a little overzealous thinking they would let him go four or five in a game that mattered a lot in West Michigan. But obviously, the more tuned to development, he was on a quota for pitch count or innings. And I talked to him after the game about this, wrote a little recap, and he, he confirmed that that was literally his strategy. It was just, yeah, he was like, I, I knew I was uh, going about three innings or 50 pitches. Three innings came first, so they decided to pull me and go with Moser. Um, and that's all I got at Weathers, unfortunately. But I my guess is that he repeats or he starts at Fort Wayne. doesn't really necessarily repeat. didn't really have enough of a sample to call it a repeat. Right. But he's going to start at Fort Wayne next year. So I bet he sits there for about as long as some of these other guys have. So next season comes around, I should have a, a, an ample amount of looks at him. He's a very different pitcher than some of these other kids we're talking about here at Patino. Um, I won't bring Cosgrove into the mix. He's probably a little bit lower of a prospect. But, but guys like Patino and Gore, very, very different simply because I just don't think he's, he's as polished and as athletic right now. Um, Weathers, I, I wouldn't say I was disappointed, um, but I wasn't wowed, so to speak. Because, I mean, even if, like, you see McKenzie go for three innings, I think you could be wowed. You see Patino for three innings, you could be wowed. I saw Ryan Weathers for three innings, and I still wasn't wowed, even if it was a sequenced outing. He's young. I think he's he's going to thin out in terms of his frame a little bit. I think they have to get his lower half engaged a little bit more. If you watch, I think I tossed up a, a little open face delivery of his. It doesn't really extend too off his front foot, but. Even with all that said, I've been trying to kind of take out some of these biases I get when I see mechanics and understand how, they're, how their weight is shifting and maybe if they're a little inefficient with it. 
and what I come back to is the fact that he's got good stuff. And I think that's why they drafted him. They da- drafted him as a legacy pick, so to speak, as with his dad being Dave Weathers, obviously. Yeah. He knows baseball. He knows what he's doing. He's a good kid from interacting with him. Um, there was clearly a lot of reasons behind it. He's got good stuff. And I guess if you want to prioritize stuff over mechanics, you can fix the mechanics. You can't fix the stuff. Usually hard to get good stuff if you don't have it. He's got it. He's got a decent curveball. His festival's got some life. I want to see that velocity tick up a little bit on it. But again, another really young kid. Um, I've seen creeping on to a t- couple top 100s. I'd probably hold off on that. I'd probably keep him a little lower outside of it and then see him progress and get up. But um, I like him. He's interesting. Uh, I don't want to kind of bring up any culminating things. I take Patino over him right now. Um, I take Gore over him easily. Um, but, you know, he's a, he's a guy that's going to develop. He's going to take some time. He's a little more of an investment, I think. But uh, uh, interesting interesting pick, too, because I thought they were going to go Carter Stewart um, with that pick. I think he was seven overall, um, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. And I guess maybe they had some tip on whether uh, Carter Stewart – would sign or not, obviously, because he went JUCO now, um, well, I believe. And, and, and so, real, interesting. Real, real quick, we were all talking about Libertor over here. Like, everyone was thinking yeah, they were going to take fell. Libertor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There must have been something yeah. behind that. Something must have happened. And he, Libertor, I think, made some – made the All-Star game. I think he made the All-Star game this year. He's done well this year, yeah, I, I believe. Very well. What little, yeah. little I've seen. Go ahead, Roy. So you mentioned Patino and Gore and all these guys kind of putting him in there. There's another guy whose numbers compared against all those guys, Osvaldo Hernandez <laughs> – did you get a yeah. chance to take a look at him? Because he's I nobody, did. I nobody twice, really yeah. talks about him. All I know is he works fast. The guy has no oh, fear. Yeah. And he was incredibly successful this year. Oh, he was. Yeah, I saw him, I think, actually three or four times. I probably saw most of anyone. Um, another young kid. He's another lefty in the system. A little bit undersized, more at Patino build than uh, than even like a Mackenzie Gore build. Gore's pretty pretty tall kid in, in built in terms of his frame. But uh, yeah, I mean, Osvaldo works. If he, I think it's almost an understatement to say he works quick. He is he's like I think I had a video after one of the starts I saw him where he threw like three pitches in like thirty something seconds. He is like, let's go. Like I'm ready to go. And I talked to him about this. I always, I always, I love talking to some of these guys about this stuff. But uh, I think I talked through a translator with him. But he was talking about how it's just for him. It's just a matter of he does not want the hitter to get any advantage on him. He doesn't want the hitter to dictate the at bat. He wants to get in there. He wants to throw strikes and get out of the inning. And this is one of the reasons why you've seen a consistent walk rate that's been very low for him year after year. And you know he pitched the entire year with Fort Wayne. I, I would assume he jumps up to Lake Elsinore. The strikeouts aren't going to have – the strikeout upside, I should say, isn't really going to be as high as some of these other guys. And the Midwest League tends to boost pitching a little bit. Um, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm super high on him, but I think, again, this is another piece that could end up being like a really low back half of the rotation guy where – and he's so far down the list, people just kind of forget about it because hmm. he's got good command. He's got good control. He's not going to give up a ton of home runs. He's really throwing meatballs. He's got pretty good arm side run on his two-seamer that he throws. It sinks down in the zone. Um, really good results this year. Um, I, I always wanted to kind of figure out why that his, his strike away went down, uh, where I was looking at, but the, the ERA and the FIP just looked 20 times better than they ever have, but he's had some weird results. I mean, he's young again. I'd like to see him develop a little bit. I'm not sure if the track is reliever or starter long-term. I'm not sure if he has the stuff to be the reliever, so I would bet they kind of develop him as a starter. But again, another guy who's been overlooked, another guy who had a fantastic year. Well, okay. One more on the pitching side. Sure. Yeah, Gabe Moser. Gabe Moser? Yeah, Moser. Yep. Okay, Moser. Uh, you covered the article for him that uh, you wrote for Gasland Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm sure it was an innings, you know, innings limit in his draft year, and it's a small sample size with 42 and a third innings, uh, 59K at a 2.37 mm. ERA. Is that just an, it, coming out of college? Is that just an advanced pitcher dominating against lower hitters, or is there some projectable stuff there? Well, I, I it's hard to say that it's advanced pitching against poor hitters simply because he was a d2 kid so he never really faced 
exceptional hitters. I'm not really sure what his showcase track was, if he had any showcase track. When I was talking to him, he said that if he didn't get drafted, he was going to go indie ball side. So I would bet that he didn't really have too much showcase buzz. But the the thing with him is I think it's really just it's 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 impressive, impressive spin on his pitches. And I know a lot of this data is kept in house. I tried my best to kind of figure out what his spin rates were sitting at and jump back to like baseball savant or something and and kind of back check it and see where he was sitting percentile was uh, on curveball and, and slider. But He's got really, really, really good feel for breaking balls. And it's more advanced than I'd say almost anyone in that pen for Fort Wayne was what he was throwing. He's got a loopy, loopy curve that almost becomes a slurve. Then he's got a little bit harder of a slider that is below velocity of the average slider in baseball. I think it's like an 82. It's easily mistaken for a curve, but when you see his actual curve, it's a little bit different um, in terms of the, the velocity. That curve is like 78-ish. But the, the lateral and vertical movement on these pitches is just – it's it's extremely impressive. And the funniest thing is I really had no idea who he was. And I was out in West Michigan for that three-game series. And he came in and piggybacked Ryan Weathers. And he I think he overrun in the first inning he pitched. And then the second inning, I started kind of noticing that he was getting a lot of swinging strikes. So I sat down and watched him for uh, seven, eight, nine. I think he pitched. And uh, I was just blown away. I got right behind home plate. And I'm just watching the movement on these pitches. And I'm just like, who is this kid? Like, the lateral break on this pitch is just – it's unhittable to some extent. And – I would probably argue the best outing, the best inning, individual inning of his career came in the eighth against West Michigan. I think he struck out the side on like 14 pitches or so. Maybe he gave up a hit and mixer. I want to get that wrong. But he's just, he's, the fastball doesn't have that much life. It's it's like 92-ish, which makes me a little concerned, confused in terms of the reliever projection. But it, it goes back to what I wrote about in this profile is that he's a cold weather arm. So he's not one of these guys who's been able to pitch in warm weather for an extended period of time. He's noticed when he's pitching in warm weather that his velocity ticks up, as I believe almost probably every guy in baseball is going to notice. But it's really good spin. It's exceptional spin. It's spin that I think plays up at multiple levels. Um, I would love to see some velocity on the fastball tick up, and I think he could kind of be maybe a mid-leverage reliever here. But And I say that with caution simply because of the value that he'd be able to return. The return on the investment here, if they can make him like a mid-level reliever, the major level after some years of development is just insane for a 27th-round pick. This kid, really good kid again, northeast, cold-weather arm. But I, I think this is all spin-based. I, I really want to see it at higher levels. I know he throws a split change too. I don't think I got too much of a look at that, but – I would bet it's it's going to be a matter of developmentally for them to get the fastball velocity up and just have him keep working on these two pitches, the, the slider and the curve, and just run with them because, man, those pitches were really, really impressive. Nice. So uh, Owen Miller, okay. mm-hmm. do you think he can stay at short? Or, or no, did, no way. Okay, okay. I didn't think <laughs> so either. Not. I'm like, he might be a third baseman. Uh, I, I've been hearing some talk about maybe him being an uh, – you know, some of the scouts are getting a more subjective view on him of like maybe a super utility guy, but his hit tool is off the charts. Yeah, yeah. He's a guy I was kind of neutral on for a while. And then the more I saw him, I kind of evened it out and, and kind of almost wrote him off in my head for some reason. I just thought the swing was too level. And this is kind of the scouting brain getting to me. Again, I'm not that positive a scouter any bit. I don't consider myself. But, you know, I like making assumptions on players and guessing and thinking where I think they end up. And with Owen Miller, I just thought the plane was too level on his bat. But he jumped up to San Antonio and he started hitting, I think, right? And I was like, uh, maybe I was wrong on that <laughs> and happily wrong on a lot of these guys because I, I seem to be like that with a lot of these Padres prospects because next thing you know, you turn around and you see a guy who's ending up, you know, major league average projection side. So, with Owen Miller, I, he's not a shortstop, number one. I'm not really even sure the defense grades out at third, but he played first base in that uh, Dan Welke on, um, classic, I believe. And he then, <laughs> and uh, I think that maybe he could patrol the outfield a little bit. If he's playing third, he's got a decent arm, so I'd like to see how that plays up. But uh, um, the hit tool is good. I mean, it's better than I 
think it I thought it was initially he obviously proved me wrong that he was hitting enough um I think that some of his success has been a little bit bad bad up inflated so I I don't I don't wouldn't heavily invest in him uh personally this is just a personal thing on him but uh, another guy in the system that I think I'm I'm happy to be proved wrong by if he if he ends up producing it at higher levels but uh I I'm just not sure where the power projection is long term I'm just a little concerned that it's one of those guys who is like a, I mean, Steve Pierce is kind of a weird comp, but one of those guys who plays a lot of positions and hits for a decent average, but never really taps into like above 22-ish home run power, so sits in that kind of 45 future value grade window. That's my concern. But if it's a 50 hit tool, 55 hit tool, and he can play some positions and be kind of that platoony guy, I, there's still value there, honestly. So um, I wouldn't expect a world from Owen Miller. Um, I would more so come into it with caution just from what I've seen of him. But I, 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 it's hard to debate how well he played, I believe, in that playoff series uh, with San Antonio. So uh, that was definitely a, a point where I swallowed my pride a little on him. Uh, <laughs> excellent. Uh, <laughs> we know Luis Camposano has the bat. You know, how, does, how does he look as a receiver? And I know you, didn't, you don't know too much about the uh, catchers, but uh, if you can give us thoughts on that, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Campisano, uh, I saw him early in the season. I think he caught Mackenzie Gore in that Independence Day start, and then he ended up going down with an injury. So I think he had too many looks at him, but I did see him, I believe, the prior in 2017. Maybe I'm mixing him up with someone else. But uh, he's interesting. He's a catching prospect in the system. I, I enjoy that because I, I like the ability for a guy to have some hit tool with a developing uh developing palette as a catcher, I guess you could call it. Um, I don't generally scout catchers too much, so... I am not 100% certain in any of my analysis on the catcher side of things. I've heard that he's more average than plus, uh, possibly trends to below average, depending on who you're talking to. As with a lot of these guys who are a little more bat first on the catching side of things, and that's kind of where I, I saw Luis Campisano in terms of his projection, having a decent bat and the, the receiving being okay. But one of the things, obviously, he's going to have to work on. Catchers take a while to develop. A lot of these guys, once they get the bat figured out, the stomach standard can be serviceable. They tend to just kind of revert back and just solely really work on being a receiver if they want to stick at catcher. And it seems to me like they really want to stick him at catcher. I don't really know if he's played any first base or anything like that if they want to kind of entertain a first base catcher platoon. But with what the Padres have at the major league level in terms of their first base, I, I don't know if you guys call it a blockage or whatever between Hosmer for the next couple of years. And if Hosmer ever goes down, Myers probably flips the first or something like that. But I feel like they have a lot of incentive to keep a guy like this a catcher. So in terms of receiving, I would bet it improves simply because I think they're going to try to develop it. But um, either than that, I don't want to really comment too much and, and leave people astray on his receiving. You know, I, as somebody who's followed the Padres for a while, they don't seem to move people off catcher as easily as Which some other I teams. like personally. Yeah. I mean, if you have a guy like catcher, do you think he could end up being major league average as a receiver? Like, there's a lot of value in that. And especially a guy with Campisano's bat and, and swing. And I, I enjoyed him in that respect. So, well, they've given um, Austin, not, you know? they've given, given Austin Allen a long leash on that. Yeah. He's, he's a yeah. big guy. And the, the word on him always was he's going to move off the position. And they've continued to give him chances to improve. And he's shown a lot of improvement. We'll see this offseason where he winds up because he's Rule 5 eligible now. Mm -hmm. So they have to add him to the Rule the, – he's a target because yep. he just mm -hmm. crushed it in A this year. Yeah, yeah. Plus, with the first base, we have Josh Naylor that's being blocked by Hosmer uh, anyway. Now, they did move mm -hmm. him. He's been playing left field primarily this year. I've seen that, yeah. <laughs> what do you guys think of that? Well, I mean, <laughs> so we just saw him at the prospect game. He played most of the game in left field. He didn't have, mm -hmm. I, I think he only had a couple balls hit his way. He only had one play to make. Um, and they say that he slimmed down a little bit. He does look slimmer now than he was a okay. year ago. Uh, 
I, I don't know. I guess it's kind of you, you tell the guy, well, learn to do this or you need to find another job. <laughs> right. And, 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 that, and, that's, yeah. and that's fine. And some of the guys you hear, it's like there's no chance he's going to be a major league left fielder. Unless the DH comes and to we're that kind of, That's the only reason why we really want the DH out here because we have a bunch of guys that yeah. can hit that we really don't. They're kind of blocked with player, position players. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Gabriel Arias, man, this past, past month of the season, past three weeks of the season, has just been tearing it up. Um, yes. is, is he figuring it out here? Or is that just a sample size of guys coming up and, and maybe some fresh arms coming up from lower levels and he's just feasting on that kind of stuff? No, I don't think it's that. I honestly think that, honestly, the inverse is true more so in minor leagues is you start to get fresher arms coming up, and those guys tend to dominate more. So you tend to see some tail off, actually, uh, based on fatigue and based on the the influx of draft talent and guys from the lower levels that kick up and, and succeed. So I, I think that, honestly, the and guys who perform, guys who play 80, 90 games and then hit in the final couple months is is very, very impressive to me most of the time. Like, unless there's a pure adjustment there or something like maybe there's some other context that helps you inform the situation a little better. But I love those guys who are able to perform late in a season. I, it's just really encouraging to me. It tells me, number one, that they're figuring something out and they're tired and they're figuring it out. And they're probably seeing better pictures than they saw at the beginning of the year and they're figuring it out. So a mix of things here with Arias, superb, superb defender. Yeah. One of the better shortstops I've seen this year. I was out in the Eastern League to start this season, actually, because I was still living out in Boston until I moved out here. But I saw guys like Boba Shett at short. I saw guys like Brendan Rodgers at short. Gabriel Arias is a better defensive shortstop than Brendan Rodgers right now. Um, there's other guys too. I think he's better than his arm is fantastic. He's made throws off his back foot. I haven't seen guys make, and I can't even remember how long I'm, I've been thoroughly, thoroughly enamored with him defensively. The bat has been a work in progress. I've heard scouts trash it in a variety of ways at games and stuff. It's whatever. I'm fine with them calling it whatever they want to call it, but it's improved and it's objectively improved. I don't think it's one of those things where you go, he still has no approach. You know, like that's like, that's the thing I hear all the time. It's just, wow, look at what Gabriel Aris is doing and everyone's counters. Well, there's still no approach. So I don't really care. And it's like, well, in my opinion, if a guy's hitting well and he's figuring it out, the approach will come at some point. This kid is again, another extremely young talent. Uh, his baseball instincts are fantastic as, as attested by the, by the defensive play he usually has. The swing's a little long. I don't think his pitch recognition is that great right now. I don't, however, think it's a massive contact problem. I think it's bat the ball is fine. I think it's more pitch recognition based, which in my opinion is probably something that's a little bit easier to bet on than if you were telling me he's swinging through pitches over the zone and stuff like that. I just think he's still having some trouble with spin. He killed the Airs, um, Australian Baseball League last year and that yeah. kind of really shot up his value and then everyone kind of poured cold water on when they saw him in the Midwest League. But I, I like this kid a bit. I think that it's another one of these projects though. I think that I tend to defer to general ETAs on guys like this and say that it's going to take a while. I'd be very surprised if they move him off shortstop. I see very little reason to do so, which makes it really interesting when you start to look up to the major league level and see guys like Tatis and, and Urias and stuff and what exactly they do with the middle infield if they foresee a Gabriel style guy in the future. Um, is there a possibility he ends up being more of a utility bench guy? Sure. And is that defensive-based? Sure. That's if he never figures it out offensively. But I was pretty impressed with what he was doing at the end of the season offensively. I saw him hit an oppo home run at Parkview Field, which I haven't really seen many people do. Um, the park kind of dampens power a little bit. The home Midwest kind of dampens bats a bit. I think their home run leader this year was like 25-ish home runs, where I'm sure you look at the PCL, you see 40-plus um, yeah. on guys and stuff. But but the Midwest League doesn't really improve, uh, doesn't doesn't push forward power that much. So it's a lot more eye scouting in terms of these guys. It's tough to scout the stat line of hitters in the Midwest League, in my opinion. And he hit home run the other way that I was really impressed with. It's that gap to catch, gap to catch 
approach for him. If he's able to figure that out and channel that, and then it starts to turn back into some pull side power, which I know he has. But if that if he relies on the pull side power now, it's going to result in insane swinging strike rates, which you're going to see in 30-plus strikeout rates, which I think he's posted at some level. So there's concern here with the bat. I get that people say there's no approach, but it's improved. He's an amazing defender. I like him. Um, I don't say I love him, but I think that he's a guy I – I will follow him continually throughout his career because I want to see him succeed because I think he's a really good athlete. Yeah, and last year my quest for baseball, I, I found the ABL on YouTube. So I, I and I found <laughs> I your buddy it. Reed was out there. Jared Dial was one of our international picks this year or last year, and uh, and obviously Gabriel Arias. And I listened to the guys in Australia, and they just love the guy. Yeah, because he was hitting out there. You come out here, everyone hates him because he can't hit. Right, he hit like three home runs in the game. And, you know, they're all, hey, just fantastic defensively. We love this Gabriel Arias guy. And uh, and I follow all the the teams on Instagram and social media. So they're always having him at signings and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, and and with someone like Tatis and Urias that that is up in the big league club or will be in the big league club with Tatis, um, we have plenty of time to let that guy simmer. Yes, and, exactly, and that's and, a huge benefit of having a deep system. And absolutely, at, at eighteen, he's not. Yeah, he's down there for a while. Yep. Um, but you come around on Estuary, Estuary Ruiz. Uh, what's changed your mind on him? Yeah, this was funny. This was I have to put this one back to my buddy Ralph Lifshitz here because he's kind of he's always been in on Ruiz. And the funniest thing is like. We love like coming up with opinions on players now that I'm in the Midwest League. He's out in the Eastern League, so he gets a lot of double-A guys. So we, we get to see – we don't get insane coverage of minor leagues, but we get a pretty good amount of coverage between the Midwest League and there in terms of some of the better prospects. So we love kind of talking about prospects back and forth, and then when we eventually see them live, we report back to each other and kind of see like how far off were you? Like what do you think? Have you changed your mind a lot? And Ralph was always in on his estuaries, and I was kind of not because I, I just don't know – if I like the profile, I thought that the the tools were more kind of hit based, and I knew he was a poor defender. So in my mind, I was looking at like future projections, going, "Eh, I mean, what exactly is the profile?" You know. And I saw him for a couple times earlier this season. wasn't really enamored, but the more I watched the Midwest League, and this was an adjustment I had to make mentally. A, 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 and I realized it probably like halfway through the season. It's just I watched Eastern League Baseball for so long that I was so used to advanced hitting and advanced pitching and 94-mile-per-hour fastballs and guys who could lay off breaking balls in the outer third and stuff like that that I come to the Midwest League and I see a lot of people doing a variety of things I wasn't really used to in the Eastern League, you know, and I'm kind of just like, uh, all these guys don't look that great, you know, but then you start to adjust it for the level and realize the age. Guys in the Eastern League, average age is, is – ex- I'm sure much higher than yeah. Midwest League. I bet it's 22 versus probably like 19. You know, it's like a two or three year gap. And that's substantial in the prospect landscape. And I started to realize that. And I started comparing us to where Ruiz at his age to a lot of the other guys in the Midwest League. And I realized that he has a beautiful, beautiful combination of hit and power. And that was something that was very rare to come across, was to see a guy who was able to pop balls like he did in the on-deck classic. That ball to center field was scorched. Oh. He, had a, he had another beautiful home run in Dayton this year that was just inner third. I don't know if it was off speed, but it was low mile per hour. It's fastball. And the kid just turned on it. He's got a beautiful follow through, a beautiful swing. I wouldn't consider it long. I know I've heard some people say it's long, but I think his load is compact enough in his upper half and his lower half to kind of neutralize that, which is one of the reasons why you see that kind of above average future projection on the hit tool. But if you're telling me this kid has above average power and above average hit at the major level, 
there's value there. Even if he's a poor defender, even if he sticks to second base and he, he's a negative defender there, um, I'm in on him. I like him a lot. I think that the speed is probably more base running style speed than it is 50 steel speed, which I think he, I think I saw him steal 49. I think he's just very, very good at reading pitchers, which probably attests back to his just knowledge of the game and stuff like that. But he was he would decimate guys in the base pass in the Midwest yeah. League. It was like, and the thing you hear, you talk to guys like Anthony Contreras and others in the in the Tin Caps uh, manager staff and stuff, and they're like, you know. Joey Cantillo is another guy I saw. And I liked him a lot, but he got run all over. And I was like talking to Anthony about it. I was like, you know, like, what was he working on? Like, do you guys care that he does that? And Anthony was like, you know, there's guys he didn't like directly answer my question, but he was more kind of saying, there's guys who come out in the Midwest League for the first time and they really don't care to some extent what's happening to that runner. They're there to work on X and Y. They're working from the deliver from the stretch. They're working just right. the wind up that day. They're working on, you know, this day, let's, let's push change ups a little more. Let's get that feel we've been working on in a bullpen. So you get a lot of those situations where I think as to where Reese was able to go, great. I know you're between, you know, three and four seconds set. I'm going first move a bunch of times here because I know you're not thrown over. And I literally think that's how he got to 50 steals. So I don't – and he's been graded out kind of more as like an average, slightly above average runner. I didn't get his home the first time, which was something I should have get. I, I tend not to bring a stopwatch to games. But so base running, I think it's more base running than steal speed. Again, it's going to be plus. Average uh, defensively, it's going to be below average. And if you can tell me he has an above average hit, above average power, I there's value there. And I just think that I kind of initially came off it and was just like, well, there's no six tool, there's no seven tool, you know, like a gore. You know, I don't see it exceptional this with RS exceptional defense. Terso Nellis, I think he has exceptional power. Um, and with Estuary, it was just kind of like, yeah, there's some stuff there. But I, I, I think I just overlooked how valuable each of those things can be together, especially if you're telling me that he can hit for power and he can have some hit tool and he's not going to get bottom out in terms of average. So I do like, I do like Estuary right now. I came around on him. You know, and uh, you, you talked about Dayton there. Uh, as a guy who watches the MILB TV app religiously during the season, they yeah. have, God, they have the best production value. It they is, do, it absolutely. It is the clearest picture. And I watch yeah. a lot of the AA games and I'm like, and I'm it's crazy, right? And I'm watching on my, big, and I have it set up on my big screen and I'm like, yeah. God, it just Who looks is like, batting? <laughs> right. What is that? You know, yeah. and, and, and I'm not trying to scout the, the games. I'm just trying to figure out who's throwing yeah. what. what like, ah, no, okay. Um, Tough. So Go ahead. <laughs> one of my – I've lo- always loved undersized, speedy guys. One of my favorite <laughs> guys to follow is Robbie Podorsky. <laughs> Podorsky, yeah, did, yeah, sure. Did you ever get a look at him? Oh, yeah, I did. He's a – he's like a – uh, what Anthony Contreras, I think, called him like a bouncy ball. He's just like a ball of energy. Um, I think it's it's kind of a lot of tools. I'm not really sure if any of them play at the major league level. I he hit really well. He's got like average speed. It, his uh his speed, I think I've seen it graded out lower than what a lot of people have clocked it at live. I, I think I've heard people say it's more 55, 60. I've seen some people toss 70 tags on it. He's a he motors in terms of his speed. I know he got kicked up. I think for the last couple of games to to Lake Elsinore, I believe. I don't yeah. know really how yeah, he did Elsinore. there, but uh, yeah, it's a, the approach is good. It's really contact based. He could ride with the high Babbitt because of his speed. Um, it's utility at the end of the day. I don't really see much of a ceiling. I think that the floor probably comes from the ability to play some defense. The range in wherever he plays outfield wise will be good because of his speed. But he's super undersized. I don't think I'd project him out as being like a Shane Victorino kind of guy where he could do a lot of things. But, you know, he's fun. He's one of those guys that I think a lot of people like. He seems to be a heck of a clubhouse guy. Um, I know a lot of people liked him. He's like the Patino. He's got a lot of energy and stuff. So that's, again, a plus on him. But I, I don't think I see too much in him projection wise. Utility at best is what I'll say. <sighs> Thanks, Lance. So, hey, so just <laughs> kind of just really just kind of wrap it up thing. Who who are you excited to uh, see next year? Who do you think's coming? Yeah, so I 
I'm probably most interested right off the bat to see Weathers more. I want to I want to gauge him a little bit better and how he's working second and third time through the lineups. Um, Tukapita Marcano, I got a, a kind of an eye on in that in that on deck classic. He seemed to be pretty good. I think is if I'm not mistaken, he's a guy who might end up in. Uh, I'm trying to think. Do you know what level he's at right now? Well, he was moving along with Owen Miller. The, right, oh, the, so yeah. he's a higher second up. baseman. Yeah. Uh, no, okay, he, okay. He, he started out in the AZL this year. I think okay. he was in the Dominican Summer League last year, but he killed it in Arizona, and then he went up to Tri-Cities and continued to crush it, and then they brought him up to um, to Fort Wayne at the very end of the season. He played, oh, I might have missed him then. Damn. He, <laughs> he played third base in the, uh, the on-deck game, but I think he's a second baseman, yeah? Um, yeah, I believe he is. Yeah. I, I'm looking at the Fangraphs page right now. I think he's played... Yeah, AZL played a lot of games at third, played some at short, too. You know what? Um, I misspoke. It doesn't look like he got past Tri-City this year. Who am I thinking of? Was uh, it Basabe? Olivier Basabe? Olivier Basabe. No, it might have been uh, – what about Augustin Ruiz came up late? Um, are you thinking of him maybe? I don't know. We've got so many good yeah. <laughs> Latin American <laughs> middle infielders. Okay. They all kind of blend together. Yeah, but I was like – I didn't Ma- think Marcano got up to Fort Wayne. But Mar- I, he's got to be there next year, so I'm intrigued by him a lot. He definitely popped up this year. Uh, they showed that he played – about an even split between second and short with a little okay. bit of third base. Okay, him and Xavier Edwards is the other one who I really hope doesn't skip over Fort Wayne. Um, those are probably the two bats I'm most intrigued by. I'll be interested to see where they start Terso. He had a lot of injuries. I, I'd love for him to start at Fort Wayne and get some more looks at him. He'll be pretty advanced for Fort Wayne if he starts there next year. Um, so yeah, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go to Capita. Xavier Edwards and Ryan Weathers are probably the trio of guys I'm most excited to see. Yeah, there's one name that I've realized we haven't talked about, and that's Jason Rosario. Uh, oh yeah, Jason. Jason. Yeah, yeah. So he's I, interesting. <laughs> I saw a story they were talking about. I had no idea that he was ambidextrous. And Contreras was saying, wow. Contreras was saying that he's seen. So he throws left-handed. He's seen Jason Rosario taking grounders at second base, throwing right-handed, and looking like he could hold the job down. Yeah, hmm. that is extremely impressive. He's another one where, like, I, I'm, I, I don't want to say I wasn't high on him, but I just kind of like. Don't think I valued everything that he's able to do because he's an exceptional defender. Um, he's one of the reasons I think he actually went in the Winter League, Dominican Winter League draft. I believe he actually went above Estuary Ruiz. Three. I'm sure that whatever team he went to is going to just slot him in at center field and, and enjoy that because he's a great defender. He gets great routes on balls and jumps. Um, I think I've seen it maxed out. Fingers has him at future value 50. I, I'd be fine putting that to 55 if you want. The throws, uh, they got his arm pretty good here too on, on Fangraphs. But he let off for them for the majority of the year for Fort Wayne. The approach is, is oddly good, but it's it's almost like the inverse of an Arias guy where Arias, I just when he made contact, it was very impressive, but he swung through a lot of balls and I don't think the pitch recognition was good. Justin Rosario just had really good pitch recognition, but when he made contact a lot of the times, it wasn't really like... I wouldn't even say it was like gap power. It was more just like a lot of spraying the field, and he was able to go out the other way, and the pitch recognition was great. I just I struggled with where I see them pushing him forward in terms of adjustments because his walk rate was exceptional, and he's had a little bit of swing and miss, but is he just like a high OBP center fielder? And I think that's like my concern is like I, I really hope that he starts in for a little bit of power or even just jumps up and gives me some gap power. If you could tell me he's ended up with gap power, and he can walk 13% of the time or whatever and play an exceptional center field, I'll go in on him. But I, I just want to see a little more power from him. He was another guy who was just kind of intriguing where there's a weird combination of skill set that if you put it together, you go, yeah, I definitely see a future here. But otherwise, it's kind of like 
really know. He was one of those guys I, I feel like perpetually overlooked, honestly, because Estrarez was just a little more exciting than him personally. Gore, all the pitchers were more exciting. I was more excited by Arias defensively. Uh, I was more excited by Tirsalinas's power. Like there was a lot of other guys around that I was just like more attached to than Jason Rosario. I almost feel like I put him on the back burner. But exceptional defender, really good arm, good play center field, can stick there, and good approach. It's just it, the contact profile is something that I'm just not really 100% understanding of right now with him. Wow, tons and tons of information, uh, Lance. Thank you so much. Where did where, of course. So what do you got coming on up with uh, with prospects live? Yeah, so I'm actually doing the Padres list. So. Uh, um, that's going to be a massive project of mine because they have so many guys to rank and it's, it's I'm only going to go 30 deep and I want to go like 40, 50 deep just cause <laughs> man, there's so many guys that I saw that I just like Joey can tell I, I just want to bring him up cause I yeah. know that I saw him, but no one like talks about that kid at all. I, I mean, you guys have covered him. I think Gaslamp has a little bit in some of the others, but like, I just was like, this kid was like yeah. a Hawaiian, Hawaiian high schooler came out of nowhere and had a couple pitches was thrown really hard as a big kid and his mechanics weren't. I didn't think his mechanics were terrible. A little bit high on his in his glove side from the left side, but he's he was he pushed. I thought in that final game, and he just kind of he just kind of came out of his shoes in his first start in Fort Wayne in that third or fourth inning. But the first two innings there, he looked like a mainstay to me. And there's just a, so many guys like that to just come up that I was impressed by that I just really want to kind of write up and dig into more and get a gauge on. So for Prospects Live, I'm doing that. I'll be on almost all of their system podcasts too, talking to a lot of the other teams. We have Braves coming out Tuesday, Diamondbacks coming out Thursday. Um, podcasts all coming out this week too. I think Jason Panini's doing a Yankees write up for anyone who's interested in that. And then Ralph is actually doing, I believe, an Xavier Edwards write up, which I'll be really interested to read because I think he's really, really hot Xavier Edwards from some of the tape he's seen. So that's nice. another reason why I'm super excited to see him in Fort Wayne. But on my end, I have the Hoot and Patino story coming out on Gaslamp all tomorrow, I believe. Um, I'm going to edit that up actually after I hop up the pod with you guys. That was one I worked on for a bit, a little longer. It's more about Hooten probably than Patino, but just kind of a look into uh, uh, Hooten's ability actually to speak Spanish and how it helps him uh, communicate to some of the Latin players they bring in because they have so many guys who are Latin arms coming in. Um, they're all kind of surprised to find out that uh, Hooten's actually pretty fluent in Spanish. So um, that's a really fun story, and it kind of talks about his career in life. Um, and then otherwise, I'll probably go dormant for a little bit in terms of uh, coverage just because uh, guys are in trucks or guys are not around or available and stuff. But I'll be back as, as soon as possible next year, hopefully doing some spring training work. Not sure if we'll be able with the Padres and stuff. But, yeah, Twitter is the best place to follow me. I, I try to aggregate everything there. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to next season already. I, I love following the minor leagues because the access I get and what information I'm able to gather. It's always fun kind of redistributing it to people. Well, before we let you go, let go ahead yeah. and give a plug to where people can reach you. What's your Twitter handle? Where, yeah. Who do you write for? What podcast do you do you participate in? Yeah, so at Lance Brosdow, B R O Z D O W on Twitter. Uh, that is probably the best thing to follow. I encourage every everyone to kind of hop on there because I run through everything through there. I'll be starting up kind of a, a, a profile, not a profile, almost like a resume site. I don't want to call it that. I'll call it like an aggregation site that'll start to kind of house everything I have. And it'll be heavily, heavily tailored towards the features I write, like the M Moser one, like this uh, Patino Hooten story and stuff. Um, that'll be front and center kind of featured more just kind of like you're interested in seeing what I did recently, what I've been working on. That's kind of what I'm going to push you to. But a podcast, I podcast a lot. I'm, I'm always kind of peripherally on. I'm helping out with producing and stuff with the Prospects Live crew. Um, founder of Big Three Sports. That site is a little bit kind of up and down. They got some basketball stuff coming out, but it was kind of a, a brainchild of mine for a little bit. Um, but yeah, Rasball, I'll be doing some fantasy baseball coverage specifically there. So um, look out for that for that site I'm putting out, but mainly follow me on Twitter. Any questions to email is good to LanceBROZ at gmail.com. I'm always kind of on that answering People randomly email me, DM me on Twitter, you know, hit me up. I'm I'm happy to chat about anything. Damn. All right, man. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely.
That was a really good interview. Yeah, we went down a couple rabbit holes with Lance. That was Man, a lot of fun. I, going down a rabbit hole with Lance is, for the first time, it was like very satisfying. <laughs> I, it will. Well, it just, you, you figure how many players he's watched, how many different teams he sees coming through, and to be able to pull all those nuggets out from players that we care about because that's you know we're focused on Padre stuff. Yeah, uh, that's that's really cool. So I we I appreciate him taking the time to talk to us, I and mean, we could have kept going for another hour if if he wanted to easily. And he even brought up guys that we didn't even have on the uh, on the agenda here. Mm-hmm. So let's get back to this. Let's, let's, let's talk about the game. Yeah, the on deck class. So the on deck. The reason why we were there after the SD Social Summit, you know, we literally went from the SD Social Summit down to the to and the game just about started right away. Mm-hmm. And um, Reggie Lawson started that game off. I thought for myself, I thought he was a little bit, uh, maybe a little old for that game. I, yeah, I mean, he's, he's only twenty one, but he just. I thought he was a little more polished. I know it's the second or third time he's participated in it. Okay. Uh, I found it interesting that apparently he, I didn't know this, he didn't have a slider coming into this offseason. Yeah. So he started working on it in instructs, and this was really the first time that he had a chance to throw it in a game situation. Yeah, and it I, looked good. It looked good, yeah. And, and he was pumping mid-90s yeah. fastballs, which we've seen at Lake Elsinore. Um, so you take a guy that's already had a really successful season, and then you add another little wrinkle to it, another weapon, as he gets ready to move up to the next level, you got to figure he's going to go to, to. Um, oh, he'll anchor the double A. I think in, in the article from Mad Fires, he'll be anchoring the double A rotation. But just seeing him on the mound at, at Petco in a Padre uniform, he looked the part of a professional. Yeah, heavy trunk, good build. Yeah, uh, you know, and then when he pops the glove at ninety five, you're like. That's our boy. Yeah. That's and that's Reggie Lawson. Yeah, a lot of the of, kids out there they look like high schoolers. Right. They're skinny, they're still, you know, you can see that the kid has yet to develop. And we saw some like defensive miscues that you don't you just at major league games you don't see that. Yeah. And you forget that baseball is actually really freaking hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and talking about that, the like Luis uh took a Peter McConnell, you, you you hear about him, you watch him on the you know the MILB TV, and then you see him up close, you're like, God, he's a kid. Yeah. He's a kid. Yeah. And he's and he's raking, and a lot of these guys are raking. You see, Xavier Edwards is like, he, he, God, that guy's fast, but he's small. There's he's lots small, of time yeah. to build. Lots of, there's going to be lots of time for them to grow mm-hmm. into their bodies. So Marcano, he went two for three with two walks. Yeah. So getting on base four times in that game, he put on a show. Um, He, he, he did. When I, and Before we get into what we have written down here, um, I like that. I like that they took the time to, to, to take the walks. Mm-hmm. Instead of swinging out, slipping out of the zone to try to get a hit to show the scouts or anything, yeah. I think I sh- you know showed that they were working on stuff and they were trying to put it into game use mm-hmm. by working the count. Plug. Um, <laughs> yeah, plug the podcast <laughs> that we haven't put out in like a month. That's okay. <laughs> we're getting off track here, but I'm sure you guys will have plenty to talk about in the future. Um, but, it, you know, that they took walks. A couple other guys took walks that I thought was nice. Um, Reggie Lawson on the on the prospect game here. The slider is a new pitch that I've been working on this whole instructs. It came in late in this season. It's just something that can get off my fastball a little bit. I came to instructs to work on the slider, and I wanted to throw it on a big stage and see what it does and just have confidence in it. That's how you build trust in it. You just throw it. Well, he was throwing it for strikes, and then when he was throwing it out of the strike zone, they were in pitcher's counts, and he was throwing it below the zone. Yeah. So he was using it properly. Right. You know, it's not like he's just spinning a slider and then throwing a cement mixer up there and getting drilled. 
It, that didn't happen. I mean, he was very good. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and you love to see like he found a slider in two weeks. Yeah, in two weeks, added another pitch. Yeah, uh, that's fantastic. Took you know, took to Marcano. Um, so let's talk about the scoring of the game. Took Capita Marcano with the RBI double down the left field line, scoring Xavier Edwards from second, who walked and then I believe stole second base. Hmm. Um. After giving up two runs in the second, Reggie pitched two scoreless innings. Uh, S3 Ruiz, at that homer, was crushed. It was. And I was bummed because I was just fidgeting with my phone, just trying to find the camera app again. <laughs> and it was like, first, second pitch, crushed. Just like, fuck. It was on the outside part of the plate, too. I saw the replay because they had the camera from outfield, and you could see that it was like high and outside. He reached out and got it. Yeah. I can see why they make the Alfonso Soriano comps. The, the kind of proportions to his body and, and the kind of path that his swing takes. He's, he's got an aggressive-looking swing. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, exciting guy. Interesting that they had him DHing. He, he wasn't playing a position. He was DHing because, yeah, he's got a bat. But where does the glove play? Right. Where will it play? Yeah. Um, you know, after Richie Lawson pitched, he did really well. Um, Michelle Bias came in and did real well, surrendering a run in three innings. He did uncork a pitch to the backstop, which... I wanted to scream with Preller, with Dave Cameron, with everyone with an earshot. I just wanted to scream, please fix him. <laughs> I, just, I know they're working on it. I, and I know they are. And I know with the taller guys, it takes so much longer for them to, to kind of refine their mechanics and get them repeatable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wanted to let them know that we want that to happen, even though I know that they know that it needs to happen. Yeah. Um, and then Darius Valdez, uh, Valdez came in, the flamethrowing right-hander from what we saw up in Lake Elsinore, mm-hmm. and just gave up a monster home run. And now, that, Bubba Thompson was the one that hit it, and yeah. he's one of the better hitting prospects in the minors. So the guy can the guy can rake, and that home run that he hit, it almost went to the concourse in left field. It did. I and it was, that, a high, it was a high pitch, too. It was a 99. It was. No, he went up and got it. I think the uh, we're friends with the bartender that works right there. Uh, Miguel, and I think he would have caught that ball if he was working his station that day. Yeah, and, and so it, you know, it was good that he just didn't give that up to any old just guy that got a hold of one. It was someone that was you know a higher yeah. higher tier prospect. Yeah, but that's kind of been that's been Darius Valdez's kind of thing this all year. He's he's got the the high nineties heat. He's got a slider that looks nasty, but then the control and location, and he he's been lit up a bunch of times this year. So that kind of was indicative of what he's done. Then after that, Andres Munoz. Yeah, that was fun. I was excited when he came in. Uh, I think everyone was excited yeah, when he came in. We all started in. watching that, watching the speed, the radar gun. Oh, man. And for him, you know, watching Valdez pitch, who throws 99, topping it at 100, it's not easy gas. I mean, he you see violence in that delivery. With Munoz, it's... Just easy gas. It just yeah. the ball just absolutely jumps off his, his hand. Catapult arm. It just whips around. You know, and with his size, I want to see that. I, I, mm. I don't want to see a violent delivery with Munoz because uh, the big thing with him is the size and it being held, and he's throwing yeah. hundred and two that our friend, your wife, bullpen babe, got. Uh, that I think Bill Center took that picture and put it on him. Or he retweeted that, didn't oh, he? Oh, did he? Okay. I, I think so. I know he took the picture that I think. Um, I, I got that picture too, but I found it. You know, the interesting thing is in that picture, you see Munoz is looking to right field because the batter actually put the ball in play. Right. He didn't register any strikeouts. So, yeah, there, there I got that picture too. Yeah. Two miles an hour, but he's looking out to right center field because the, the hitter actually put it on a pretty good line. You know, and, and that hitter's got to be really happy that he did that. 
So he got he got his three outs, but it I, it is interesting that none of those outs were by strikeout. Yeah, well, I'm sure the guys are sitting on fastball, and that's all he kind of threw was just throwing yeah. the, throwing BBs and you know good hitters, even even minor league guys are going to hit 100 miles an hour. They're going to hit mm-hmm. 102. Yeah. Um, I, I saw earlier this year uh, a pitcher for um, the Cardinals was throwing up 102, and he got lit. Yeah, Jordan Hicks. Jordan Hicks. Yeah. yeah. Just you know, you're like, how can those guys hit? Well. Who said it? George Brett said that major league hitters can time a bullet. You know, it's yeah. just it, you got to mix something else in. And I think yeah. Munoz had that sharp slider, so he should do really well. Um, that's about it for the. That's all the Mad Cat. You know, the recap from the Mad Cap that was for Mad Friars. Well, we've got a whole bunch of other content here, but I think we're gonna have to save it for another day, huh? Absolutely. We got the we got affiliate shuffle. We've got. Um, we have what the major league and minor league teams pay for in the minor league system. Yeah, I find that interesting. And I think by next week, go ahead. We've got some some rankings. Baseball America is starting to come out with their top top prospect lists, and we're going to see more of that. So that's going to be consistent stuff for us to talk about. Absolutely, and I think it'll all be preempted by uh, maybe this next week we'll have a discussion or the announcement of where the Padres double-A team will be. Yes. In between Amarillo, which mm-hmm. is the favorite in, uh, which is kind of what it's leaning towards, or Pensacola. Pensacola, yeah. But it's in between the Padres and the Minnesota Twins. Well, and we also have the Social Summit interviews that you recorded. Yeah. Which is a great idea. I mean, I'm just sitting there listening to it. I started taking a couple notes, and I saw you get your phone out. Like, oh, yes. Um, so we're going to hold that stuff back and put that in a future podcast too. Well, good. We have tons of content. We do. And talking to Lance, we, uh, you're going to hear, uh, we also have other people that we're going to get from Lance that, uh, you know, that have information that are followed Padres prospects. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emily Walden, hopefully, um, that's, we'll get a I'm bug in her ear. talking to her. She's an interesting person. Yeah. And then she loves Patino. So. Who uh, doesn't? Right. After sitting there in the room with him and having him answer some questions, man. God. I love that guy. God, you know, who was talking? I was talking to Padre Farm. Um, and he's like, you know, I threw that up on Twitter. Who would you want to trade? And I was thinking Patino, but then I saw him at the summit and heard him. And he's like, no, I don't want to trade that guy. Oh. Like, you don't want to trade that guy. Yeah, I love that guy. And uh, and some of the, some of the guys from Prospects Live that some former scouts and some of the evaluators that they have on that site mm-hmm. uh, that'll get some looks that have gotten looks at Padres prospects that we'll be able to have on. So there's lots to talk about in the off season. We have tons more to talk about. I'm already. I mean, we're pushing episode 17 into 18. I'm pushing 18 into 19, <laughs> and uh, it's just going to keep going on. Boy, it's a good thing that we're in the off season because we're. Uh... We're overflowing. We're bubbling over. You know, and I was, for a while, really worrying if we were going to have stuff. And, you know, were we just going to be babbling on like we do, or at least I do. Um, We can always do that. (laughs) But we want to bring you valuable information that's worth listening to. Yes. Instead of us just talking out of our mouths. And we're starting to figure out the the technology (laughs) side of it. So it's actually easy to listen to as well. Yes. By the sound of our voices. It's not like... It's not like nails at a chalkboard from Donovan Doom Production, um, which you know if you guys listened to the last uh, last episode, I really did Benjamin Hill a disservice and our listeners. So um, we're getting better. We're a developing podcast. Mm-hmm. We uh, we are figuring things out as we go along. I think we figured it out pretty well so far. We're getting there. Um, we are getting there. Um, but by no means, you know, we are amateurs, and that sometimes shows, and that's okay. I love doing it. I love talking baseball with you. 
Oh, I love talking baseball with you too. All right, so All you right. can right. <laughs> with that, we're out of here. You can reach me at SD Donovan on Twitter, and I am Zippy underscore TMS. Until then, signing off from the last day of the major league season. Go Padres. Go Padres. Beep, doop, beep, doop.